Blog Talk Radio. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Mendel Rivers to eat hog moths confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the Schaefer Award Theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nubs. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner. The revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on reports from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on a rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still life of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he had been saving for just the right occasion. Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so goddamn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally screwed Jane on Search for Tomorrow because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry Arm women liberationists and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Keyes, nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, or Engelbert Humperdinck. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. Have another you. 
of the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network and WCOM, uh, our sister station in uh, Chapel Hill and Carborough, North Carolina. I'm your host, L.A. Bachelor. We thank you for joining us. Once again, you could be doing any other thing, but certainly we appreciate you checking in. 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us. Uh, press one to get on the line. Uh, the chat room is open as well. And you can hit us up on Facebook at Pad Nation and uh, Pad Nation 2 at Twitter. And we definitely appreciate you checking in. Speaking of checking in, I want to bring in my uh, guest. He is co host of You and the Law, a law enforcement show. They really keep it real. Uh, he is also the chief of police in Little Rock, Arkansas. Of course, You and the Law airs on Tuesdays at this same number and the rebroadcast. Any of the broadcasts you can check out 
at our website, the Bachelor with a T News Radio Network.com, the Bachelor News Radio Network.com. Co host of the show, he is Chief Wag Humphrey. Chief, I appreciate you coming on, man, on short notice, sir. Hey, man, I appreciate you having me, man. I, I really do. I, you know, I'll do anything for you, man. Well, I appreciate that. So just go ahead and put that check in the mail. I appreciate it. Uh, I got you. You said, you said you'd do anything. <laughs> I did. So, I did. I did. You did say that, uh, Coach Chief. When you you look at the the unrest, and not just the, I will say the uh, the traitors, those, those mostly being white supremacists who happen to be Trump supporters. Um, is the threat across the country as serious as the media and some law enforcement that I've seen and talked to? Is that threat really real? Absolutely. A thousand percent so. Uh, uh, we get information every day, uh, L.A., uh, regarding the uh, information that's, that's picked up through intel, uh, things that we're hearing. Uh, other chiefs and I, you know, other chiefs are hearing. We have uh, police chief publications uh, that you, they talk about the uh, domestic terrorism uh, that's increasing in the in the nation. So it it, it is it absolutely uh, is real. Uh, I will tell you, I don't see it getting any better, and um, we're going to have to figure out some way of of uh, addressing it. And LA, I, I will tell you and the listeners, man, this is to me is more dangerous than foreign terrorism. Uh, it, because this is this is homegrown and and this is based on uh, years and years and years of hate and and uh, here in our country hating individuals uh, and and so yeah it, it, it's pretty bad man. It's funny you should say that um, because I, I have two questions one dealing with D.C. specifically just your opinion based on having control in terms of law enforcement. Um, so the first question is, you know, a lot of what happened in D.C. Uh, caused a lot of discussion, discussion that came back to the surface about D.C. having statehood. If they had statehood, you know, they had a governor in place or a mayor in place at least, I mean, a, a, someone who had control, because obviously Congress controls um, the Capitol Police. But if they had statehood, then a chief Humphrey may have more freedom uh, to to react quicker, to be able to to put some things in place. Do you think that that's a viable option? Something they should be looking at now because of the violence that took place in D.C. The second part of this is: Do you think there are not? Uh, uh, do you think there are enough laws on the book domestically? I don't know if you break it down state by state, but just domestically in dealing with domestic terrorism, because, the, you know, FBI and some of these agencies, their hands are tied because of certain, rest- you know, uh, restrictions, if you will. You know better. You could uh, change the terminology of it and, and the understanding of it, uh, but they can't do certain things because of these these restrictions that law enforcement, local or FBI or whatever uh, have I mean we're so focused on you know uh, international terrorism 9/11 and then Al Qaeda and all these people ISIS and stuff 
but we have domestic terrorism, which, as you said, is on the rise here in this country. So, so to answer your first question, I think the elements are in place. I think that somebody dropped the ball. Uh, I don't think if it, I don't think it would have mattered if there would have been uh, a change in the in the format of the government there, because at the end of the day, the Capitol Police are the ones responsible for the Capitol. But at the same time, you have what's called mutual aid, uh, and there should be a, a MOU memorandum of understanding that uh, at any given time. Other agencies can help. So I think it was a break. I think it could have been a breakdown in communication. I think it could have been a breakdown in the fact that uh, they didn't take that seriously. But I think the resources were there. The state police, county, I think it was there. It was just a breakdown and in, in not in a lack of preparedness on their part because they were so lax with thinking that nothing was going to happen. So I think the resources were there. Um, I will tell you, L.A., and, and to the listeners, uh, the 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 there are already there are already laws on the books. Now, what I would like to see is more states uh, have hate crime laws. Uh, there are some that have strong hate crime laws, and there are some that don't have state crime. I mean, hate crime laws. Uh, unfortunately, we're a state here that, that we don't have a hate crime law, and so I think mm. that's that's something that they, that they need to look at. I think that the federal laws are, are, are amazing when it comes to the domestic terrorism because, remember, for one time we were focused on the foreign terrorism, and so now there are laws under federal, there are federal laws that focus specifically on domestic terrorism, and there are so many things that a person can be charged with. But I will tell you, in this situation, federal laws are, are a, lot more, a lot more stern uh, in this situation that we saw last Wednesday a lot more stern and will be more effective because <clears throat> some of these uh, acts, we know these individuals are going to go to the penitentiary. We know that. Uh, we know that there's not going to be any probation. I'm, I'm very comfortable in saying there's not going to be any probation for any of these individuals when it comes to uh, the acts. So I think the laws are on the books. It's the back door. We, it's the, 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 the key is are we enforcing those laws and how we're for, are we being selective? You know, and that goes back to what we've talked about before. You know, would that have been handled differently, L.A., if that had been Black Lives Matter, if that had been LULAC? Would it would it be would it have been handled differently? Um, you hope it would not have, but I, I I can't give a definite. I can't say that it wouldn't that it wouldn't have been handled differently. I think it would have. You know, Chief, we're talking with uh, uh, Chief Keith Swag Humphrey, a co-host of You and the Law on the Bastion News Radio Show, Bastion News Radio Network, WCOM, and uh, Carborough. Chief, you, you uh, doesn't it bother you, and I, I guess that's an obvious answer, yes, that the, the Capitol Police did not, as you said, it, it seemed, take the threat seriously. And I'm sure it has to, something to do with the 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 group, the hate group, um, the predominantly color of the, the the group's skin. That they just kind of thought, you know, is they're just coming to protest, no big deal. But as you said, if it'd been Black Lives Matter, where you know Black Lives Matter has you know a rainbow of people, but it's deemed, of course, and created by blacks. So when they come, they ready with their you know, tasers and everything else, ready to the the bump heads and everything when they got up there. Not to mention uh, when the guy leaving the White House, you know, wanted to do that, uh, you know, Photoshop 
a shot and and Lincoln uh, Park there that you know right. they you know knock people out of the way and that so it, it's got to be very concerning that Capitol Police I guess figured it was predominantly white oh no big deal they just come to protest and they didn't take it seriously. Yeah, that's disturbing, man. Because you just got to look at the the, the the intel was there. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, right. it's coming to light. It's coming to light that uh, they had been informed that the potential of this crowd becoming dangerous uh, uh, was very uh, or being volatile was very was very high. I mean, there was a concern. And so, when you have that many people, just say if you have say there was ten thousand people. There, there's not the number of Capitol Police officers than they are D.C. Metro officers. So why would you not enhance your staffing or enhance the resources to just ensure, uh, you know, the presence right. there? Because I can tell you the lack of presence there also played a key role in the actions of those individuals. Because if they – trust me, L.A., uh, they did their homework. They knew how many right. officers were on duty. They knew what the weak uh, points were, where to, you know, where to go through. Uh, they knew, they knew all that, and so they, you know, they, they, they were well prepared, and, and law enforcement just was not well prepared. And a, additional show of force was was what should have been utilized. Um, you know, and, and it's called, and, I, and you've heard me talk about this before. It's the first level of the use of force, and it's called command presence. Just your presence mm. sometimes can um, uh, eliminate or minimize uh, a level of what we saw last week. Just the, just the fact that you're there and, and you're in uniform, um, that, that that can reduce or, like I said, minimize the possibility or the probability of, of a crowd getting in that, in that you know, acting that way. But, but it, it just was a breakdown. Um, somebody's going to have to answer questions to why, they weren't prepared based on the intelligence that they have. And you're, you're in Washington, D.C., which houses the FBI, which houses Secret Service, which houses Homeland Security. Uh, we get our funding from that, from, from Washington, for our intel and for our fusion centers. So that's, that's what's interesting. Yeah, and, I mean, really, it's, it's interesting, and I'll ask you, I'll make a statement and then uh, a comment and then ask a, a question, Chief, that you know, uh, I know it's a federal statute, but they, you know, uh, you know the law enforcement has the RICO statute. You know, if you um, when it comes to, mm-hmm. they use it a lot with mobsters and people like that. And that, and you know, they've been you know killing for quite some time. But you would think that you know a state would have that. So if you don't have that, like you said, first, are you saying Arkansas doesn't have? Uh, any hate crime or Little Rock, first part, and then the second part. If 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 you're talking about your city, the city that you run in terms of law enforcement there, um, what do you do with the hate crime? You, you send it over to the FBI. How do you handle that when it's a hate crime? Well, well, <clears throat> no, we don't have a hate crime statute. Uh, that's something that law enforcement has been pushing for here in the state. But you still you still file the aggravated assault, whatever the whatever the offense is. Um, keep in mind, hate crime enhances the the actual charge. So if it's an aggravated assault, and it and it uh, and the and the um, it has a um, a punishment stage of say five years, 
uh, in a hundred thousand dollars fine. I'm just speaking hypothetically. It enhances it to a higher level, but we still can file cases against people no matter what if we do. If it comes down to a federal crime, based on the based on the location and based on the act of the crime, you can have the FBI look into it as a civil rights violation. Uh, and so uh, there are those reverend, there are those other resources that you can utilize, but. Even I just want I don't I want to make sure that that the listeners don't think that we don't enforce those crimes. We do enforce those crimes. Right, and that's why I wanted, to, yeah, I wanted yeah, to explain. Yeah, that. right. Yeah, yes, we do enforce those crimes, and those are based on statutes, state statutes. So uh, we do here in Little Rock have a uh, ordinance that uh, that's related to hate crimes. So we can also fall back. We can fall back on our city ordinance as it relates to hate crimes also, which would be handled through our district court. So we, we do have a city uh, level hate crime ordinance, but there's no state statute regarding the hate crimes. If you're just joining us, we're talking with uh, Chief uh, Keith Swag Humphrey. He is the chief of police in Little Rock, Arkansas. And we're talking about the civil unrest that's taking place uh, that we saw those treasonous, those cowards who went to... It's just funny, Chief, just politically and just the irony and the hypocrisy of it, that they want... um, uh, They they stand on... Most of them try to stand on freedom and the Constitution, but they want to go there and destroy the Constitution and the very house that started with the Constitution. Um, And, you know, I'm just saying this for me. um, Predominantly white folks who feel that they can go and do whatever they want to do. And then when they do it, they walk out and go home to the, they're your neighbors, folks listen out there. They live near you. They, you see them all the time, the grocery store or whatever, but they did it because guess what? They didn't fear any rep- retribution. They didn't fear any consequences. Oh, they're not going to arrest me. And, and some police you saw, which I'll get your, your thoughts on chief taking selfies with them and, I'm not asking that one brave brother that, you know, was trying to hold them back and take them in a different direction right. so they wouldn't go after the Speaker of the House and everything. He did a good job. And he even said, look, don't use my name because I don't want to have any issues. You had one sister that was trying to hold it back, and uh, they assaulted her, so she feared for life. She fought back. Now she's on, on leave and may, and facing criminal charges. Only only the, only the brothers and sisters. We, we, even, even when we try to do the right thing, we getting jammed up. But the, what do you do with officers that, especially in this climate, Chief, that decide that I'm a Trump supporter? We talked about it on your show. So the hell with um, Chief Humphrey. I'm just going rogue. I'm tired of it. I, I just, I'm not going to do it. How does that work? Uh, that That's a quick termination. Uh, you know, you, you go through the process and you put them on admin leave because they've lost their rights. To uh, you know, they violated the police, the law enforcement oath, and you know they go under investigation. Uh, and then once the investigation is complete, uh, the actions that these officers take, you can't keep them. You you can't you can't afford to keep that person. And uh, you know, of co- you know, of course, you and I have talked about this before. You know, they have appeal rights, and you know, they go before the next level, which is here would be the civil service board, and then if 
that civil service board upholds the discipline, they can go to district court and it can still, you know, they can, the judge can do whatever he wants to, but you can't keep those individuals on your police force. You can't because really and truly, man, that's, that's showing hatred that we're having. Cause think about it. These guys, not necessarily the police, but we don't know, but, but members of large numbers of that, those members of that crowd had zip ties, had weapons, had Molotov cocktails, uh, were actually looking for members of the of the House of Representatives, so you knew you know that they were they went there to to do harm, and so you you got police officers who allowed some of these people to come in taking selfies. Man, that just goes all against. If that ain't if, you know the minimal charge you have is conduct unbecoming, and which is a serious violation. So you can't you can't afford to keep a person like that because. I make it very clear, man, you've got to separate politics from the job. And so now you're, 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 you're basically saying it's okay uh, to go in and destroy property. It's okay, you know, to, to hurt people. It's okay to threaten people. It's okay to walk through and defecate uh, in, 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 in public and urinate in public. It's okay. And, and, and you're a police officer, and you think that, and you, but then you come back home and you arrest somebody for doing that in, 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 in your jurisdiction. That's a double standard, man. That's a double standard. You right. can't keep a person that does that. Just like these idiots, that, politicians that got upset that didn't want to go through the new metal detectors, only, by the way, to, to save them and got their panties in the crunch because they got to go through it. But uh, to come, to, come to my hood. Welcome, come from around the way with these high schoolers who, who got to go through metal detectors every freaking day. But but they can't do yeah. it. It just it, it, the 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 you know the arrogance of that is beyond me. So chief, what so uh, what is your agency saying now? What are you doing to get prepared for this? They're talking about. I know you getting intel that you can't talk about, but maybe this weekend they're already talking about if you know when Joe Biden gets uh, 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 yeah. inaugurated, they got there's already twenty thousand soldiers there now. Like it's a, some kind of you know, they're going to war type thing. Yeah. It's a war zone. So what what are you doing locally uh to prepare for these these Trump supporters or the, even people who want to fight against the Trump supporters? Then you got two um going at it in your city. How, what are you preparing and, and how uh how's the morale uh of your your uh your guys and gals uh, for your agency? Well it's I will tell you that 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 you know the the Officers that I've spoken with are tired of this stuff. Um, they are, they are, you know, they basically just want this stuff to get be over. Um, and you know, I've even talked to some that said they don't care who the president is. They just want this dysfunction. They just want this this hatred and this fighting to stop. But I will tell you, it's an all hands on deck approach. L.A. Every day uh, a meeting. Uh, every day is 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 going over intel. Uh, it's a multi-jurisdictional uh, approach. So, you know, we know what everybody's role is from the state police to the county police to the local police uh, and federal agencies. We know what each role is. And so we believe that, you know, we've had to freeze uh, leave, you know, vacations and things like that. We've had to reassign people uh, to make sure that we do have the adequate resources just to uh, uh, to respond is always LA. Uh, our our approach is we want to preserve the peace and we want to 
preserve life. But we understand that there might be those those individuals that push us to that next level of, of force. So we're ready. You know, it's a constant meetings, uh, telephone calls, you know, talking with the mayor, talking with the um, FBI agents, special agents in charge, police chief, sheriff. And so, uh, you know, always, you know, we'll have um, – We'll have, um, inc- you know, uh, our incident commands up, emergency operations centers up, uh, joint emergency operations centers up. We'll have uh, sub-emergency operations centers up so that we can make sure we're monitor all the technology that you can think of when it comes to uh, preparation. We'll have all that, uh, it, it, you know, at our um, disposal. So if you have a town, ta- I don't know how – big little Arkansas is, but if, if you had 40,000 people, like they're estimated was, um, all of these Klansmen uh, running around in D.C., um, could you be able to help handle that? And if not, what what's the next step? Well, the next step would be, you know, we would be able to, you know, I think it would come in pockets, but we would be able to... To a, to a certain point, uh, I'm comfortable that we could handle it, but as it gets to that level, then we would need other federal agencies. That's when you start focusing on the National Guard. Uh, that's when you start focusing on, uh, you know, uh, larger larger components of the federal agencies and things like that. So we have those contingency plans in place. Uh, we're not taking a chance. You know, there, there are some people say that well, they're not going to participate. Well, we can't take that chance. Uh, we have to be prepared for whatever we, you know, whatever could come up. You know, it's all about preparedness. So, you know, it would it would it would be a task for us. But I believe the the plan that we have in place, we would be able to address that um, um, uh, in some manner. Yes, I do believe that. I'm very confident we could. Yes, I'm sure you could. I'm, I'm sure you're very capable. I just wanted to ask that because I'm. It, it got to be overwhelming. If you're just joining us, we're talking with uh, uh, Chief Keith Humphrey. He is the chief of police in Little Rock, Arkansas, uh, uh, on the Bassin News Radio Show. Uh, his show is called You and the Law, and it airs on Tuesdays at 646-929-0130. The rebroadcast, all their shows, you can go to our website and listen to them. And they keep it real, he, he and uh, Chief Green, uh, about the law enforcement and their their uh, relationship with black and brown communities and they keep it real chief speaking of keeping it real it's already one thing to be concerned um about your own um officers and turning on you and saying you know what i'm i'm going rogue you know screw you and whatever but you we already know and i said this to you on your show last week that this hate is is a microcosm, it's it's infiltrated into society. The misconception of, in particular, Trump supporters is that they're just poor whites or whatever. But they're highly educated. They're lawyers. They're doctors. You got some of us sprinkled in there as idiots. We think we're gonna get a crumb from the table. So we have we always have, we've always had the Uncle Toms and all those people. But I think the most dangerous part of it is the the threat. Um, Chief, because you already got to worry about, and we've seen, uh, you know, I've seen F- FBI people on TV saying, listen, even at uh, the inauguration, if you got all this policing around, 
um, you might have to watch the plays. And it was already mm-hmm. known that some of these these cops and other people um, were working with these rioters. Uh, so how do you manage that? You you I'm sure if you know your agency, but you never know at the same time. You know your agency. And and how do you deal with that and then deal with threats that maybe even don't even you, you don't even expect coming from cer- certain people in, in certain situations? Well, you know what, LA, we we've got to get away from this thing that thinking because status um prevents you from acting a fool or or, or being you know, we, we it doesn't surprise it didn't it didn't surprise me. I mean, you know, you had an Olympic swimmer that was involved. Uh, there were there were investment bankers, there were CEOs of companies. That doesn't surprise me. And the reason it doesn't surprise me is because over the last four years, you've had so many people. Uh, the people that I've people that I've encountered at different socioeconomic levels have expressed their their hatred or disdainment toward the toward the way that they believe the country was. Uh, you know, for the for whatever reasons they had issues with certain. Uh, cultures or, or, or things like that. So it doesn't surprise me. Um, I, you know, and, and, and at the end of the day, I, I always tell people never be, never be surprised by a person's actions. So, you know, as a, as a police officer, police chief, nothing you tell me surprises me about anybody. Cause after 30 some years I've seen, uh, you know, we always talk about certain neighborhoods and we've always talked about, um, uh, you know, certain socioeconomics. But one of the things I will tell you that that individuals who are sometimes quiet, you don't know what's going on behind the doors of their homes. You don't know what they're doing. And so you have to, you know, you, you have to make sure that you're not judging people because you just never know. You know, and, and what normally happens with, with uh, and I've said this before, L.A., you've heard me say this, and there are always telltale signs of, of, of problems in police departments. Um, there are agencies that say, well, what a person does on their personal personal life, it doesn't matter to me. You know, well, that person's Facebook issue, as long as they're not in uniform, as long as they're not on duty, that's their right to say that. Well, that's a problem right there. And when you turn your back on that or ignore that, you're you're being complicit. You're you're condoning that behavior. And so that's the you have to address that. That's why now. When you go through police backgrounds, they ask you for access uh, to your – ask you do you have a Facebook so that they can look and see what you're doing, look and see what you're saying. Uh, and, and so you have to address that. You can't ignore it. And, and, and that means sometimes up to the point of termination or sometimes up to the point of criminal uh, prosecution. But, but you can't ignore it because it's not new. It's not surprising to me that we're seeing law enforcement officers uh, um, participating in these times, it's not surprising that the things that you hear law enforcement say uh, about, you know, certain politicians or certain ethnic groups, this doesn't surprise me at all. And you know, it's it disappoints me. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. But you you make a great point, Chief, about judging a book by its cover uh, or not doing that, and certainly a social economical. Uh, people because and 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 race ethnic groups because if our black ass went up there like that and tried to take over the the this um the capital we'd be under the jail if if we make it to the jail if we make it there 
We'd be shot on sight. Well, it would have been. And I, I mean, that's reality. And in LA, I, I truly believe this, and I believe this from the bottom of my heart. There would have been a different approach and different preparedness uh, if that would have been Black Lives Matter. We saw um, a few months back when there was a Black Lives Matter um, move um, protest in Washington D.C. We saw National Guard standing out there in uniform, uh, and their their protest wasn't even violent. Uh, so, so we know that there is because there's a perception that Black Lives Matter is a um, is a is a terrorist group or a a, a, a violent group, <clears throat> but it has not been the the organization has not been listed as a hate group as a terrorist group. But Antifa had, I mean, uh, the Proud Boys have, uh, the you know uh, uh, the Boogaloo Boys they have been. So, so you know that they were going to participate. So why not treat, why not handle it the same way that you handle Black Lives Matter or other groups that haven't been listed as, uh, uh, you know, uh, violent groups or, or hate groups. And and at the, just so uh, real quick, just as a side note to that, Antifa, um, if people don't understand. First of all, they 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 exist. They exist to fight. Um, you know, those who are white supremacists, those who are against those type of things. Uh, but I want to be clear, Antifa doesn't mean black. Antifa means anti-fascist. Um, but yeah. they label, Absolutely. not to say whatever, but they label Antifa as black, just like the, the word nigger, just like food stamps and everything else is black. Is it, The face is black. So, I yes. just want to be clear about that. Now, I'm no, I know you're not saying that, but I'm just putting it out to the because, um, you know, uh, I had people even on this network try to say, well, what about Antifa? That's just like, you know, Trump is bad. Well, what about Hillary? You know, it, they, they deflect. But with that being said, Chief, um, you know, you 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 look at these these groups and this Congress. They went to kill people that weren't for this man, this crazy, narcissist, racist man. And if you weren't for him, they came to kill you. Nancy Pelosi, everybody else, they came to kill. They wanted to hang the vice president, the very, very vice president that's in his, his camp, or at least in his administration. They came for violence. And yet, even after that, even after these Capitol Police getting killed, and other people getting killed, people getting injured. Guy, I mean, this this young sister trying to fend people off. All of this, they come back and still side with him. So I bring that up to, and I, I've asked you this in the past over the years. How do you how do you consciously how do you kind of zone the fact out that even with the hate groups. You have to kind of defend them. Like you, they're calling you everything under the sun, and that's what they did. And yet, turn around and people are still trying to help them or help the cause. How do you how do you grasp that? And how do your officers deal with that? Because we take an oath. Uh, we take an oath. Every officer takes an oath, take no matter what, and to protect protect a person, no matter what they look like, no matter what they believe in. Because you got to understand, our focus is protecting everybody, uh, you know, every citizen, uh, whether they live in our city, whether they pay taxes. But, you know, we provide service. We provide customer service. 
and no matter what that person looks like, we're going to provide that service. And, and and it's hard. It takes years and years and years and years to do that. You've got, you know, I mean, I'm not going to tell you that you don't get upset, that I don't get upset. But but I will tell you, I do remember why I got into the job, and, and I remember that if I if I don't protect individuals, no matter what they think, I'm no better than them. So then, then mm. I need to hang my badge up. If if, if I, you know, if 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 if, if I uh, pick and choose on who I'm going to protect, uh, who I'm going to serve, then it's time for me to hang my badge up. You know, unfortunately, this is the job we selected, and and, and you have to uh, realize the 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 you know the restrictions that are put on you. Uh, the fact of, and then you have to look at the fact of, hey, look, I'm going to do my job. I can go home every day because I did the right thing. <clears throat> They've got to go home and live with themselves. But, you know, right. L.A., if I tell you that it's not hard, if I tell you that it's not difficult for officers out here, uh, it, I would be lying to you. You just have to realize what your purpose is and fall back on your on your on on the oath that you took and, and realize the purpose of you being here. Uh, in doing this mm. job, and that it's and that it's a that it's a privilege to do this job. It's not a right; it's a privilege to pin that badge on. It's a privilege to be out here. Everybody can't do it. Some people aren't willing to do it. So if you're going to pin the badge on, if you're going to take the oath, then you live up to it, and you do your job, and you protect everybody. You put all that all that crap aside that you believe your personal opinions, and you protect everyone. That's what you do. Because we are held to a standard, and it, we can't take it personally. We can't. We can't do that. Yeah, and, and you know, I often said, I've said to you on your show, you know, um, it, it may be unfair with law enforcement, but I compare them to um, pilots of planes. You can't have a bad day. Somebody's going to get hurt. No, it seems you, you can't. You can't right. be a, pi- a bad pilot. You can't be a bad cop. It, it and dealing, especially if you, you know, maybe been sheltered and then in terms of uh, culturally, and then you're dealing with black and brown people, you, you can't have a bad day. It's just not acceptable. Final uh, a question for you because I know you're well, go uh, real quick. Some, well, can I say sure. some? Can I say sure. something real quick? Sure. In, in those Absolutely. jobs, in those jobs, you are you are responsible for person's safety and their well-being. You have been selected right. to fly those planes because you've got the training to keep people safe, okay? It's the same way with law enforcement. You, you can't afford to have a bad day. You can't, and, and then think about this. Think about the authority that airline pilots have. But then and I tell officers this. Think about the authority and the power that you have. And then, then how, do you, how do you abuse that? How do you misuse that? Because you have the authority to take someone's freedom, that being handcuffing somebody, detaining them. You have the authority to, to go in someone's house and search it. Hey, you've got to have probable cause and a warrant. And then, God forbid, you have the authority at some point, if you have to, to take someone's life. That's a lot of authority, man. And so how can you abuse that? Not very many entities have that authority, other than the military, that have those three um, privileges. Not, I won't say privileges, but have those those uh, that's part of the job if it occurs. So why would you take advantage of that? Why would you take advantage of that and abuse that uh, when you know not very many people have that have those rights to 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 keep people safe and to make this a safer uh, country and a safer city? 
Why would you abuse that? And that's something I just don't understand. I I, I can't fathom. And, and yeah, and it, I mean, you know, uh, and I've often told you uh, and mentioned to you, uh, Chief. Uh, a, I have a nephew uh, on the force back home in Connecticut. You know, up top, and so I, you know, we're always praying for him and praying for you guys. But um, but B, uh, it's 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 got to be tough. You know, I grew up with Franklin Street Projects. We ain't trust the police. I told you all the time. So right. it's got to be tough now in this climate that it, it. the fact is that if you have bad cops, road cops, you see them that with the whole Capitol Hill things, you're already dealing with a perception in black and brown communities that you can't trust cops, black, white, whatever. And then you have this stuff. How do you deal with that? And then the, the final part, the second part of the question, final questions for you, I appreciate you um, hanging, um, is how does it work if stuff spills over um, specifically um, with capitals? Are we concerned about the capitals in these states that uh, are, are there intel or people talking? Are you guys talking now? If it's Little Rock, Arkansas or Raleigh, North Carolina or New Haven, Connecticut or wherever, is everybody sort of on the same page just in case? Well, I can't speak for everybody. I can speak for Little Rock, and I can speak for the Capitol Police and the and the highway and the State Police and Little Rock Police County Sheriff and and the federal agencies. We're all on the same page. We realize that you know it might not be it might it might not be the cap the Capitol that's that's uh, that's that's attacked. It could be it could be City Hall. You know, it it could be someone's house. You know, you can go specifically to a certain neighborhood. So we understand that, and so that's why I say. Uh, you know, we are we are prepared. And you, and you go back. The first part of your question is that you work harder. We have to work harder. We can't give up. We have to continue to work harder to, to prove to our communities of color that we're here for them, no matter no matter what. We have to continue. And I have to set the tone for that, L.A. Well, I, listen, uh, Chief. I know you are doing what you do. I've known you for years now, and <laughs> We've had some very candid discussions on and off yeah. the air, and I know what you go through. Yeah. Um, but listen, yes, sir. And so, at, moving forward in this climate, whether it be today inaugural or in, moving forward anyway, because I think it's going to get really ugly. I've been saying this even before. I've been saying this for five years with this dude, but it, it's going to get ugly. Now he's got seventy plus million people, you know, crazies that want to uh, harm people. In the name of the Constitution, or no, in the name of Trump, then there's some issues. So as I say to you all the time, and you and your agency, but to you specifically, sir, uh, you keep your head down, you keep your head up so you can get home to your family, and I, I certainly appreciate you, sir. Thank you, man. And you know, brother, how I feel about you, and to the listeners, man, God bless. We're going to be all right, but uh, we'll, come, we'll see you next week. Absolutely. Thank you, Chief. Chief Humphrey is uh, the co-host. He, well, he's the um, chief of police in Little Rock, Arkansas. And, of course, he is the co-host of the show, You and the Law, that airs every single Tuesday. And uh, you can catch the rebroadcast of that show, if you miss it, um, at our website, The Bachelor with a T, BachelorNewsRadioNetwork.com, TheBachelorNewsRadioNetwork.com. Check it out uh, while you're listening to this broadcast now, wherever you listen to Facebook, online, wherever in the chat room. Check out the website there 
All of the broadcasts, all of the shows are there. We're going to take a break. We're going to talk about Flint, Michigan, and the water crisis. And the governor, who should have blood on his hands, but he may be going to jail. We'll see how long uh, we know. And can Flint people um, trust the COVID-19 vaccine that's coming? They, they, didn't, they can't trust the water, so why would they trust the um, vaccine? Black and brown people, once again. Talk about that on the Bastion News Radio Show, the Bastion News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill and Carbone. Your favorite music apps are available on Contour. Go from watching a musical to listening to your favorite music. Enjoy a country western and then a country jam. Or go from action flicks to something that makes you feel like an action hero. Now with Contour from Cox. Blog Talk Radio. This man is a doctor. This man is a doctor. This man is a doctor. Welcome back to the show. Yes, the doctor is in. He is a motivational speaker and media personality and community activist. He is Dr. Lee Bell. Doc, as always, man, I appreciate you, sir. I uh, hope all is well with you, and thanks for coming on. Well, as always, thanks for the invite, L.A. I love being on the show with you in the pad and also speaking to your audience. Absolutely, and and. You know, Dr. Bell, I, I saw the um, breaking news, <laughs> and I was saying that sarcastically, we'll get to that, uh, about former Michigan Governor Rick go to jail, should go to jail for a long time, Snyder, um, convicted and charged in connection with his role in these Legionnaires' disease outbreak that killed 12 people, certainly more people, the, the, the Legionnaires, facing two charges of uh, willful neglect of duty and up to in jail, according to the uh, at least what I read on the court re- records. The, the first thing is, what's your reaction? Just purely on that, what is your reaction to the timing and the charges of this? L.A., I am pissed off to the highest of pissivity. Pissivity? I am mad. <laughs> yes, and I am mad as hell. First of all, let me address the potential sentence. He has not gone to trial yet. He was arraigned this morning. He is facing two misdemeanor charges, willful neglect of duty. That carries a penalty of one year in jail per count or 
$1,000. That's all he's facing. There have been wow. tens of millions of dollars spent on this investigation. And this particular investigation is the second investigation in the Flint water crisis. We, the residents of Flint and visitors to Flint and people who don't live in Flint but work in Flint, we have been screwed by a dick. Dick Snyder. (laughs) The Flint water crisis is a man-made disaster created by a natural A-Z-Z. The Flint water crisis started all because the state did not put chemicals in our water to purify it and so that it would not corrode the pipes. That's what started. And and just to be clear, they did it, and just to be clear, Doc, they, they did that to save money, correct? Yes, to save money. And in that attempt to save money, not only were the residents of Flint drinking the poison water, people brought their kids into the city, perhaps to a daycare, a specialty school, and then there are thousands of people who do not live in Flint, but they work here every day. So we have been saying he has poisoned a city of 100,000 people, but actually that number should be about 150,000. Now, some of his underlings, a couple of his underlings, they face nine manslaughter charges. the head of the Health and Human Services Department, as well as the Health Department. Now, these two people report to Snyder. Two emergency managers are on trial, but there were a total of four emergency managers. The two of the four that have not been charged They helped to set all of this stuff in motion by moving the city of Flint from Detroit's water to Flint River water. And the water crisis is also a piece of a larger scheme. The late Coleman Young, mayor of Detroit, said before he left office and before he died, do not let them white folks get their hands on the water. So Hmm. when Flint was taken off of Detroit's water system, that put Detroit's water system into a deficit. And because of that deficit, the water was taken out from under the city of Detroit's control and put under an authority 
and folks on that authority are friends and colleagues, the Snyder. And if you think back, the city of Detroit was taken illegally through a bankruptcy. Snyder, former Governor Snyder, the current mayor of Detroit, Mike Duggan, and the lead attorney at the Jones State Law Firm, all are alumni from the U of M Law School. Mm. Wow. Yeah, let me ask you this, Doc. When you when you you see basically these misdemeanors, first and foremost, will he do any jail time? Second, um this new attorney general and people that came in and they were talking, we talked about this uh, months ago, I guess, uh, and, you know, how they um, took stuff to court and and the judge, you know, uh, um, looked at it and, and they made judgments without prejudice, which means they could bring it back and things of that nature. And here we are now. So what what are, what are the, the prosecutors thinking? Don't you want the, the kingpin? I mean, uh, coaches use plausible deniability. Don't tell me anything. I don't want anything. I don't want to know anything. So when it comes back on me, I don't know anything. So it seems like that's what he was doing. But wouldn't the prosecutors, did they not have enough you know, evidence on him? Or is he Teflon Don? Like nothing is sticking to this guy right now. I would say it's a Teflon Don situation. Two top aides to former Governor Snyder. One was charged with obstruction of justice as well as perjury. And another individual, his top aide, was charged with perjury. Before the charges were dropped and reinstated, Mm -hmm. A lawyer actually filed a lawsuit against Snyder under a RICO Act. Well, there you go. And and for the RICO Act, basically, you're running a continual criminal enterprise. Right. And and we know the RICO Act is typically for for mobsters, typically, that that do that, a, a criminal enterprise. Right. Which is what Snyder is Snyder sent a black man To Flint uh, As an urban affairs Specialist His name is Harvey Hollins Harvey testified In court Snyder knew About everything Hmm. But I guess the black man Testimony didn't uh, amount to much. And so, is we, that on the prosecutors or the judge? How how does that work? Because you know you have judge judge uh, decisions and you have jury decisions. So, is, is it on the, the the prosecutors fail um, prior uh, prosecutors and and current prosecutors? 
at this point because again, legionnaires, people, do you not understand people? Not you, uh, Doctor Bell. You honest, legionnaires is a serious thing. Like, and it leads to death. Like, and and he might get, he may not get any jail time. If 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 he's only facing a year, you know, he'll get probation or whatever. He get a little whatever, pay the fine no, and, and keep it moving. Probably move. Yeah. Go ahead. Let me back up. He is facing okay. one year. One year per charge or one thousand dollars. Okay. So you think he'll get jail time? I think he'll pay the one thousand dollars. Okay. LA, we we talk about the legionnaires, and I think last tally, it may have been up to nineteen people. But in subsequent investigations and stories, upwards of 150 to 200 people have died of legionnaires. What happened, they didn't look for legionnaires, so they didn't find legionnaires in quite a few people. Not to mention that the people in Flint that consumed this poison water also have compromised immune systems. So COVID-19 is ravaging this community. Mm. So Snyder and company, they are the gift that keeps on giving. Wow. And you, had, I guess, Doc, you have to compare this too, though. Snyder to, to uh, the Flint water genocide, I call it, um, uh, to this guy leaving the White House, we'll see, um, avoiding or ignoring COVID in the first place. Uh, their negligence, their incompetence, their um, whatever you want to call it, is causing sickness and death. Flint in that isolated area Which of course we know that Probably if it's a Flint There's a Flint all over the country But we know of Flint And this leaving the White House Allowing COVID just to run rapid Without doing anything to You know anything to do about it We know that Flint, Michigan And the water crisis We are the poster child For environmental racism This water crisis is just the tip. It's a fire drill, if you will. Under the emergency manager laws, the state came in and took over our government. Several assets, beautiful buildings, parks, and other Items they took and sold all of our uh, garbage trucks, our snow removal equipment. This is a model that's being used all over the country. And once again, I'll hop to Detroit. The city council of Detroit did not. The city, of, the city of Detroit did not sign off on that bankruptcy. Therefore, it's an illegal bankruptcy. They went in, they took their assets. They stole the pensions of city former city workers who worked all of their lives. They stole their pensions. 
They've stole wow. the they stole the arts from Detroit. Detroit had a one of a kind art collection and it belonged to the people of Detroit. That was stolen. And after they wrapped up the bankruptcy in Detroit, Kevin Orr, who was the lead counsel, went to Puerto Rico to steal the assets of Puerto Rico, and he took with him the very judge that heard the Detroit bankruptcy case. The judge retired and went to work for the lawyer. When Snyder came to Michigan, he assaulted all of the urban centers, all of the places where black people live. The Michigan Department of Civil Rights did a study after the water crisis had broke. All of the evidence they gathered, they deduced that the Flint water crisis happened primarily because of racism. You know, Dr. Bell, if you're just joining us, we'll talk with Dr. Lee Bell, uh, motivational speaker, media personality, community activist in Flint, Michigan, home of the um, a certain tragic uh, uh, with the, the water crisis. You're on the Bastion News Radio show on the Bastion News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill. Uh, uh, Doc, I, I really want you to kind of bring home, if you can, um, economic, I mean, um, uh, environmental racism because we hear those isms all the time we know about the color of our skin we know about jobs and housing we know about um policing and and all of those things but one of the things that you said that we do not focus on uh, because they they don't care if our air is polluted or whatever the case may be is environmental racism talk about that specifically as it relates to what you're going through and the fact that it goes on in every urban, quote-unquote, black and brown community in this country. Without a doubt. Before I truly got sick in 2013, I was employed at the University of Michigan School of Public Health. We had a couple of programs that brought students in the public health field to Michigan and to Flint. And one of the things I was most renowned for was giving tours of the city so that the future public health professionals could get a good understanding of how our environment affects our lives and how our lives affect our environment. As we tooled down one of our main thoroughfares, we approached the Flint water right next to the water plant. There are seven junkyards. Old cars, tires, refrigerators, old stoves, and the like. 
And on the other side, there's a couple of more junkyards. Now, L.A., we're talking from our water treatment plant. And if we tool down the road a little further and make a right, there's a wood-burning waste plant. Across the street from the wood-burning waste plant, there are the projects. Yep. And if we tool down the street a little further and to the left, there's a recreation area. Mont where people fish, where people go to have picnics, they go to swim. So if you're burning refuge from the plant, where do you think the remnants are going? They're going into the air, into the lake, into the neighborhoods of the public housing unit. And that's just one example of environmental racism because we find all of these machinations where low-income and black and brown people live. If we go the opposite direction, there is a place that sells, oh, what is the uh, LG gas? Right. Right. And that place is right next to the railroad yards. And there have been situations where the entire area has had to be evacuated because the place that stocks the gas has been on fire. And we're talking major fires where you have to remove residents in a one-mile radius. People have to be displaced from their homes. And, and Doc, let me just say this, too, because, I mean, it certainly um, we've seen, like, movies based on true stories of these, these power plants and these companies just dumping stuff. In all neighborhoods of color or poor people, could be white or whatever. But I will say that it, it, it it's all about the darkies. I, I, I remember watching The Godfather, and, the, and, and you know, it's really reality. It's, it's a movie, but it's really our reality that they were having the five families were having a – uh, a meeting about drugs and should we sell drugs? And one guy said, you know, push it in Harlem. That's what the darkies said. Let them, they're animals anyway. Let them, you yeah. know, lose their souls, he said. And and that's really what it boils down to, you know, uh, whatever. They, they're not, they're animals anyway. They, they're not used to anything good. So it's just, you know, we can dump it there. They die. They kill themselves anyway. They kill each other anyway. So it's no big deal. And And that's why we need to be Awake of those things, Doc, that we have to be engaged in those. So let me ask you that. With that being said, um, I had a police chief on. You heard the, sh- the, the show where perception is reality in, in our communities. Don't trust the police. 
You just watch TV. Don't trust the police. They're not for us. So you have a Flint situation going on that innocent people are being harmed. Innocent people that look like us. Um, And then here comes COVID-19 to exasperate those issues and those uh, uh, detrimental, like fatal in our communities and yours, you know, specifically what, what you're dealing with. And then, oh, we got a vaccine. So is there any concern, you being a leader there and, and people that you talk to all the time, is there any concern that this vaccine, not not in terms of um, being critical of the president-elect, and that's a whole different conversation, but just the vaccine. We've seen Tuskegee experiment. We can go deep there. But is there any concern that this actually is going to work for us and we can trust that vaccine coming into our communities to help our people? 98% of the folk that I speak to does not trust the vaccine. They don't trust Fauci. They don't trust the process. Now, as a public health official, we have to prepare, we have to study, and we have to learn about not only the Tuskegee experiment, but there are some other unethical medical experiments that happen. So we share that with the people we work with, and one of the blessings that I have had, I worked for the University of L.A., but my main concern was the community and communities that I served. So we have alerted people to these cases. So our community is well learned as far as having a skepticism of vaccines, of medical Officials I mean there's a lot of stuff out there On Fauci His relationship to I I believe her name is Margaret Sanger The lady who started Planned Parenthood Right Um, The Microsoft guy I can see his face But I can't call his name Bill Gates, or you talking about Bill Gates? Yeah, or? Bill Gates. Oh, yeah, right. Bill mm-hmm. Gates and his work around uh, trying to do zero population work. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there that people are latching onto, and they're skeptical. Things are just not adding up. Well, it's. It's really disheartening and it's really concerning, Doc, because um, we have to be dis- skeptical. And I say we, I mean people that look like you and I. We have to be. We have to challenge. We have to question. And we can't say it. it I, I think I said this to you before. If I, I never did, I'm saying it now. You know, it's this notion that if you're born in North Carolina, um, as a child 
want you know and you your parents want you to play sports or basketball that you're born with a basketball in your hand like North Carolina people think and I'm living here um uh, think that they own basketball it's the same thing with the Democratic Party and we talked about this before you're born you're a democrat so if you're a democrat you trust I'm not saying distrust um, the president-elect, but I'm just saying the the reality and the numbers weigh out on that, Dr. Bell, that, you know, you're born black, you, you're you a Democrat. That's it. And then you go from yeah. there, kind, and if you, whatever. And so I, I think that in this time, in this climate, uh, and even before that, we have to challenge. We have to look at these things because as you eloquently say all the time, the other side, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, they're going to fall back on their likeness. And they don't look like Without us. A doubt. Without and, a doubt. And, and that's the problem. That's the problem. And you, we're talking about the vaccine, the virus. I believe that the Trump administration uses the term underlying medical conditions to support a narrative, to push a narrative that will lead people of color to trust the vaccine. I do. I have diabetes. I am a stroke survivor. Oh. Had prostate cancer visually impaired, I tell people I do not have underlying medical conditions. I have overwhelming medical conditions. If you know someone who has diabetes, it's not only a medical condition. It can get in your psyche. You can get depressed. We We also have to list high blood pressure. So I'd like to change the narrative. There are no underlying medical conditions for black and brown folks. These are overwhelming. If you have diabetes, that's a drain on your pocketbook as well as your physical self. If you have these conditions, the medications that they want you to take, they have devastating effects on your person. Right. Yep. These are not underlying. These are overwhelming conditions. And, and Doc, to your point, I'm type 2. So um, I, I get it. And, um, I mean, that's a discussion for another day about how um, some of these um, conditions have come about, how they how, how um, diabetes and, and other um, illnesses are are extremely, you know, multiple times higher in our communities than in white communities. It, it, it not an accident, right? Uh, in my opinion, there's some well, deliberate that, stuff that's going on. For well, me. LA, there's a there's a direct correlation between blood uh, diabetes and lead. Right. There are there are a couple of other things that are connected to diabetes. 
you know, there's they do things with our food. Right. That help to manifest diabetes. So like you're saying, you know, you had to put out that Arsenio finger and say, hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it's no, it's a real hmm. I mean, you know, I've it's my my niece, a couple of my nieces are are, are well endowed. Like, are they on steroids? Like, I when I grew up as a kid, it, it, it girls didn't look like that. And and when you add in the fact, and I'm gonna let you go, Doc. When you add in the fact that there are uh, young men and women like that, and uh, you know, you they they put us in a box to um, give us lack of employment and lack of housing and things of that nature, but they give us this free food in our cases, talking about others, um, that food is watered down. We're going to get, yeah, we'll give you whatever, but it's going to be the stuff with all the artificial ingredients and and all those things that go into it. So it's a vicious, um, strategic, deliberate cycle um uh that is leading to a lot of uh issues that you and I just talked about and others uh health wise there, there's nothing accidental about this i'm i promise you folks it's a, I, I i just don't see it this is deliberate they can't put us in jail and put us under uh in the dirt they're going to do it another way um la when was the last time you saw a piece of church's chicken? For me, a while. <laughs> but, I mean, you, I get your point. Like, it's on every corner, just like every liquor store and everything else. So, uh, and. Yeah, the church's and we'll chicken eat it. before. The church's chicken before you eat it, it says, we will pump you up. So if our community, if we are ingesting steroid-injected church's chicken, of course the girls are going to be well-endowed. But also, if you pay attention, doctors prescribe steroids for black women at a very high rate, whether it's for asthma or other ailments. Yep, and prescribe Ritalin for our, our, our young black kids and boys in particular, so they act out and end up in jail. I mean, Doc, you know we could go on and all about this because it's it's really it's really real talk. Um, and I think the awakening, right, needs to happen now. We're in a situation where they're clearly under this new leader they have. This new Hitler they have are clearly telling us we don't like you. This is our country. You need to go back to Africa or wherever you're from, whatever country you're from. And if you don't, we're gonna kill you. And so that's where we're at. So if we can't wake up from that and then look at some of these other things, these other issues. And I thank you so much for bringing up environmental racism. 
people don't think about stuff like that. That's a thought provocative thing right there in the self doubt. Environmental racism. They don't care what the, the land is polluted and lead and bad water and everything in our in, in our communities. That's environmental racism. You can't go sure. the Karen's being in the suburbs and they're fine. Their water's perfect. You know, might have a yeah. little chloride or whatever, but but no lead. It's environmental racism. And it's clear as day, but we need to be woke to be understanding that. That's the problem. Well, L.A., well, LA as I teach about environmental racism, think about this. Railroad tracks and freeways, those are barriers. Those are tools for environmental racism. Do you know someone who lives across the tracks? Shoot. I know somebody with, of, that, that me, with, with the tracks right there. <laughs> okay. And, and the pollution that comes from the big trucks on the expressway. Our people, black and brown, suffer more from asthma that gets Exacerbated from those automobile fumes, mm-hmm. and the expressways typically go right through our communities. They will destroy our communities and put that environmental racism mechanism right there in our community. It's not by accident. Because as I um, uh, mentioned, you know, in a fictional uh, uh, movie in the, the Godfather, they said just put it in, put it where the darkies are, the animals anyway, the darkies, um, and and that's where it is. Doc, I, I gotta run, but thank you so much. Um, God bless you, man. I love you, man. And uh, let's get you back on next week. Uh, I'm sure we, you know, the struggle continues and not in this uh elk but certainly other conversations sir so thank you so much well thank you la as always and i'm still waiting to get that key card to the bachelor pad <laughs> well the the card is coming sir the card is definitely All right. coming uh, th- thanks doc i appreciate you man dr lee bell of course he is a motivational speaker media personality community activist in flint uh, Michigan and dealing with so much there. Understand that everything's been going on with COVID and and this crazy man we hope is leaving that house. They nobody talks about the Flint water crisis. Nobody talks about these people getting legionnaires and getting sick and dying and 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 going to other parts of Michigan, other parts of of the country with that. Uh, I mean, and the science behind it, and the fact that these people who are in, who cause this because of their greed and their partnerships and relationships, typically white. Let's be clear about that. Are walking scot free? They're they live in. A, I mean, the the a parallel from that to these Klansmen that went to Capitol Hill to take over the country, I guess. Um, are walking scot free for the most part. It's right there, folks. I mean, it's it's like it's right there. It's right there. So what are we gonna do about it? 
You know, keep going about your business. I got my job, I got my house, I got my car, I got my kids. I ain't got time for that. That's for somebody else's issue. Or you're going to protest down the streets, passing out, um, not passing out, but, you know, sending out uh, info on social media. I mean, you up there shaking your ass anyway, so you might as well just go ahead and send the information out while you're shaking your butt and doing all that. You're going to be in that vein while you're on Facebook and everything else. You might as well do that. I mean, I, I personally, anybody look at my page knows that, that my stuff is, is directly to informing people what's going on. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever the case may be. But if you're going to do all that and be in vain and be um, lack substance, maybe every now and then you actually put something out there that people can absorb and actually get involved and be conscious about. That's just my opinion. Uh, take a break. Come back and get uh, Quadrico Driscoll on. He's a political uh, and scientist and a reverend, actually. Talk some politics with him, uh, the Trump impeachment and other things on the Bassett News Radio Network, the Bassett News Radio Show, and WCON in Chapel Hill. This man is a doctor. This man is a doctor. Yeah, this man is a Welcome back to the show. We thank you for joining us. Uh, it's the Bassett News Radio Show on the Bassett News Radio Network and WCOM in uh, Chapel Hill and Carborough. As I go to my guests, it's always good to have him on. Uh, he is an adjunct professor of religion and politics at the George Washington University Graduate School of uh, Political Management. He's Quadrico uh, Driscoll. And uh, Happy New Year to you, sir. I appreciate you coming on. That's same to you, L.A., and your listeners. Good to be with you. Absolutely. So, uh, so much has happened since we had you on. Oh, my God, really. Um, I guess I'll start with the present. Um, the Democrats, uh, um, you know, they are filing, obviously filed articles of impeachment. And, um, there, you know, there's two ways of looking at this. There's the way of uh, the fact that you know, Democrats and those who want to impeach this man feel like uh, certainly maybe, you know, the Senate won't take it up, but it's it's a matter of principle. They have to put these things in place so they can kind of ward off presidents who want to do what he's done. Uh, and then the flip side of it is that there are uh, Democrats, some Democrats and certainly Republicans as an excuse, I say, uh, look at this as, you know, further dividing the country. So where do you fall on this, and, and how do you see this playing out in terms of procedure? Well, there's no question that he has caused a, a great deal of harm. He has not only caused harm, but he has violated his oath of office in the Constitution, which is the principal reason as to why the House of Representatives who, of course, the Democrats control, wish to get rid of him. Um, they want to, or they would like, I should say, for him to, quite frankly, do the right thing and, and resign. At least some of them want. We, we all know that that's not going to happen. So then, of course, there is pressure from Mike Pence to invoke the 25th Amendment, uh, which also seems like a less likely option, um, given, of course, now the strained relationship between Pence and, and Trump. But even still, they don't think that's a viable 
options. So what Pelosi and, and House leadership on the Democratic Party now wishes to do is to impeach him, which it does look like there are enough votes uh, in the House uh, to impeach him. And of course, there also looks like there are some Republicans in both the House and the Senate uh, that will go forth with that impeachment. That this impeachment would indeed pass the House of Representatives, um, which, is, which it certainly will. Um, I am told and I understand that um, House leadership, Nancy Pelosi, would hold those articles of impeachment before sending them to the Senate until after uh, President Biden is, is sworn into office, which then, of course, will give the Democrats a majority in the Senate, which would then lead to a conviction. Um, so that is what I understand is the, the potential and the best option at this present point. I think a critical question is whether by, is whether uh, President Biden would want to deal with an impeachment in his first 100 days of office. Um, so I think that's the critical question. There are some Republicans who are hoping, of course, that uh, Trump simply resigns, Pence becomes president, um, and then Pence pardons him. Again, I think because of the strained relationship between the two at this point, that doesn't look like a viable option either. So the best course of action is for the House to impeach him, for the House leadership to wait to send those articles to the Senate uh, until there is at least a majority where there's Democrats in the Senate, which would then lead to a conviction. So we'll see how all of this foolishness and this craziness plays out, of course. Um, I'm not particularly hopeful, but we, we shall see. You know, I, I I hear what you're saying, and I, I I've heard all of those things, because But I'm in I'm in the other camp. Like uh, Democrats, their new name should be Stand Down, because that's all they do. I, I mean, is it, the, the, here's the thing. So when Barack Obama was president, a lot of progressives and people like myself wanted him to f- uh, push for uh, universal health care. He didn't. And the reason was it wouldn't get passed. So so what? At some point, you have to push it. If it doesn't go through, then you say, see, the other side didn't want it. We pushed it. So Democrats are doing the same thing. You have a president who incited violence. That went that had these people go to the Capitol, the same Constitution that they they swear to uphold, they wanted to destroy. We know if Black Lives Matter and people of color went there. We already saw that January second when they went there, they were armed and ready, to bang heads and everything else. But Democrats want to stand down. You have to set a president. I don't care if it doesn't pass in the Senate. I don't Absolutely care. Right. It's about the, the principle. When are they going to stand on principle? Who cares it doesn't pass? Do what you're supposed to do. That's your job. If you believe, in the, and the majority of your caucus believes in, uh, you know, impeaching this guy, then do it. I don't care what the Senate does. Do what you're supposed to do. But the Democrats are the stand-down um, uh, party. 
if they, because if the shoe's on the other foot, so you know, if if this was Barack or someone else, some Democratic, you know, Bill Clinton, right, doing the same thing, you know, Republicans would smell blood in the water, and they will go to the ends of the earth to make it make their point. Democrats, and Nancy, that's why they need new uh, leadership, really. Uh, but that's right. a whole other story. You know, but, LA, but stand I, down. I, I absolutely agree with you. What we have traditionally known, particularly under the most recent administrations, uh, Bush, Obama, is that the Democrats, quite frankly, have been spineless. They have not had the testicular fortitude and moral fortitude to stand up to the Republican caucus, say like a, a Mitch McConnell um, or other Republican leaders. Um, they, you know, Democrats generally operate under this big tent, and so they try to appease everybody within the, the Democratic caucus and, and make sure that there are some centrist Republicans that come alongside as well. So you're absolutely right. Uh, Democrats do not fight hard enough. They don't push the envelope. Uh, they are not stubborn when it comes to certain pieces of legislation that they should have been stubborn on to ensure its passage. But I, I think in this specific case, it, it, it does make sense to hold the articles, only because we know that this president was impeached last year. It, it went nowhere, of course, because the Senate chose not to convict it or even take them up. And so I, I think, if, if anything, or the silver lining in this particular situation is that hopefully House leadership learned from the mistake of the last impeachment, and that because they know, of course, McConnell will not uh, take it up. It will not be on the Senate floor. And so I think in this particular instance, they are waiting until McConnell is no longer Senate majority leader, and that way with a new majority leader, Chuck Schumer, from New York, then perhaps there's a better chance of not only impeaching, but convicting. And then, of course, real punishment is led to ensure this man does nothing even once he is post-office. So I but think the, that is the strategy going forward. Right, and, and the, the only thing is that, I, you know, I've been saying this about this man. I, I call him, and I, I don't want to say his name. But people up top, we call it up north, we've known about this guy for a long He's been selling a, a, a bill of goods for a long time. And, you know, he comes on the scene and nobody, he's funny. Oh, it's just him being him. Oh, it's not going to pass. He's not going to do this. He's not going to win. And here we are in uh, 2021, and he's inciting violence like he has. Both sides have allowed him to do that. Um, but, but again, for for us who known him, it's welcome to the party, right? We already knew him. The thing is that um, I I firmly believe in following and knowing this guy that if if he's not impeached now, uh, if you impeach him, yes, when you have president elect in place, you got your your Democrats in there, and you you control everything, he's gonna be in a beach somewhere in Bora Bora. Uh, I don't even think that they're going to convict this guy in, in criminal court. I, I, I just think that it, if you're going to make the statement, do it now. Um, because this, he's Teflon Don, I'm telling you. 
I, I, I promise you, it, it's it's not going to happen. He may he doesn't even want to probably want run again. I mean, he only ran so he can build his his brand, and he's done that. And he's they they've him and his family's made tons of money because of him being the president of the United States. Uh, but at the end of the day, I think it's away with it. And then the, those seventy million or plus million of people out there who are poor whites and stupid blacks or whatever the case may be are going to be stuck holding their hands together twiddling their thumbs while he's off on the island somewhere and that that's that's really what it's i think it's going to boil down to well you, you know i hope you, actually i hope you're right that he does go off in some island in Bora Bora somewhere and, and sort of live out his days there um, however, I think the evidence that we have seen does not lead that to be the case. Um, the man, of course, uh, attempted, to, quite frankly, a coup, a coup d'etat in this country uh, to ensure that he maintains power. Um, he, he wants to be a dictator, right, on the likes of uh, Kim Jong-il and, and, and a Hitler. So we, we see that, and, and quite frankly, I think that level of egoism, right, that level of power that he apparently seeks and, and, and wants. Uh, so I, I don't necessarily believe that he's going to go away. He knows that he has a following. He knows that he has a base. It is the cult of personality, right? This is how dictatorships start. This is how governments are overthrown. And he, we saw that, how he wielded his power, right, by rhetoric. Same thing that Hitler did, right? Uh, so I don't, I don't foresee him going away anytime soon. And unless the Democrats actually do something to ensure the impeachment sticks and do something to ensure that he can't run for federal office again, you know, there's a potential of him running for the Republican nomination in 2024, and quite frankly, maybe not win the general election, but winning the primary election, because there are people in this country, as we saw Wednesday, who are diehard supporters of his and are willing to take the country over the cliff to ensure that he is their leader. Yeah. So I hope that you're right, but evidence up until this point doesn't appear that he's going to go away Anytime soon, because he has a dedicated following, and you said, you know, poor whites. Well, it's, it's not only poor whites. Yes, stupid blacks, but it's also rich whites, right? Uh, Middle class whites that we also saw who were out there. These weren't just, you know, I think CNN did a horrible job of saying people staying at the Holiday Inn and eating at Olive Garden. No, these people were staying at the Marriott and the Grand Hyatt. These were your lawyers, your doctors, your nurses, even your pastors who were, you know, obviously white. Who are out there. So I think there we need to also dispel that myth that these are professional white people that we, some of us, that black folk and brown folk interact with every day who are out there marching and storming the Capitol as well. Yeah, so, and the, the, yeah. The, only reason I, the only reason I said that is because every, you know, those who want their pockets layered uh, has an agenda, you know, based on, on financial and otherwise. Uh, we we know they're there, but the the disappointment, and I I've been saying this for five years, uh, is that whether you're black, brown, white, and you're disenfranchised or you're you're low income or you're not certainly rich, he he's not one of you. 
He doesn't. He's never sweat a paycheck. He's not Absolutely. one of you at all. And yeah. and I don't understand how people don't get that. And I mean, but he's a he's a he's a, he's not a bright man, but he's a he's a he's a smart man in terms of entertainment. And 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 that he's been able to get away with that. But you know, you're right. I mean, it, the, the his his weakness is he can't keep his mouth shut. Uh, he's got to. He's got to be. He's that guy. That that kid. That if he doesn't get his way, he's going to take his ball home. He's not your friend no more. He's one of that kind. Of, one of those type of guys. Uh, and we understand that. Uh, we're talking with uh, Quadrico uh, Driscoll here. He is a, uh, of course, the adjunct professor of religion and politics at the George Washington University Graduate School of Political Man- Management. Also uh, a. Um, um, uh, Reverend as, as well. We need definitely need some prayers after this. Um, w- w- when you look at what happened at the Capitol, uh, and it's, it's, it's very disturbing. Uh, you know, I was there last year. I took my kids there. We went to the Capitol. Went. Uh, I met with some some congressmen and stuff, and we we uh, took them through the monuments and you know taking pictures in front of Dr. King's uh, uh, pictures and and Abe Lincoln and everything, and it's. 2,000, almost 3,000 cops everywhere. You you jaywalk, and they're blowing a whistle at you. Um, yeah, right. Right. And then, so now it, all of these people, and I, I said this too, Quadrigo, that the, the fact is that if there's 70 million or more people that uh, voted for him and that sympathize with him and, and follow him, they are part of all society, law enforcement, Absolutely. lawyers, everything else. Absolutely. So why are people yeah. surprised that they just walked in? But again, just going back to the Black Lives Matter movement, June 2nd, they were armed and ready to bang some heads. They got the Intel, FBI, the Capitol Police, the Metro Police in D.C. They were all ready. Um, yeah. And we saw what happened in Lincoln Park uh, when the president went to take the Photoshop with the Bible upside down. But here's all these people who, again, talk about is their country, and they stand for the Constitution, but they want to lynch the vice president of the United States, lynch. They want to get, they want to kill the, the Speaker of the House and anybody in, in front of them. And, and not only that, that's hypocrisy, but uh, speak to the fact that there's very the, a portion of arrest and this, they let them walk out. Nobody got arrested until later. A lot of them got arrested because they broke curfew. I mean, it, the right. hypocrisy, of the racism of, of this in particular, is just astounding. Well, it, it is astounding, uh, but it should be no surprise to black and to brown people in this country. White white mob violence is a critical part of American history. And that is the narrative that is not being told. Unfortunately, black and brown, in this case, black and native people are well familiar, unfortunately, with white mob violence. And that's exactly what we saw on Wednesday. The reason why they were able to walk into, literally walk into the Capitol is because 
the officers were sympathizers. And I think that's a larger question, right? That the United States Capitol Hill Police Department, which I interact with, quite frankly, yes, I'm a professor at George Washington, but I'm also a lobbyist. So I, I know these, these men and women who I see, and they look at me strangely, right, as one who has official business to be there. Yeah. Uh, but the reason that they were able to walk in is because of white fragility, white privilege, white immunity. Right, because when you when a person feels as though this is their country, they're not scared of the police because in their minds and what we saw, they own the police, they pay the police. So why should I then be afraid or apprehensive of people who are paid to protect me? And what we did see, of course, was that there were officers who protected them, officers who were taking selfies and helping them walk down the Capitol steps and who sat quietly or taking photos of them as they ransacked the halls of Congress because the protesters weren't afraid, and quite frankly, the officers that were there were complicit and sympathizers with them. There are reports that some of the officers were Trump supporters, and that they were a part, right, a part of this militarized conspiracy. Be very clear, L.A., these were not your ragtag, you know, everyday quotidian mega people. These were, this was an organized conspiracy militia that I believe part of Capitol Hill police were a part of that. And that is the reason why they were able to so graciously walk into that um, Capitol as if it was theirs, because they think that it is, right? And it was the rest came after the fact, right? We all know, of course, that if it was black and brown people, they would have been shot dead. But arrest came after the fact, right? Social media posts about people, these, these protesters, these writers, these insurrectionists not being able to fly or being arrested at their home and yet still being graciously arrested, right? So all of this is unfortunately ingrained in the fabric of America and their white immunity and their white fragility is what is protecting them. And is why, why they were not arrested and why they walked into the Capitol. Well, and, you know, I, I've, I've often said, and I said this when we had you on before, that at the end of the day, and I knew this was coming, I, I clearly knew this was coming, that, you know, when he walks out, and you have this civil unrest, like I believe, um, I, I hope not, but I believe is going to come, that there are a lot of people that have bloods on their hands. Um, you know, those who uh, enable him, those who support him, the Republican Party, Democrats who want to stand down, uh, the media who thought it was a joke, and everybody wants to, you know, jump all these, uh, you know, the Facebooks and all these people who want to block them now, now. You know, eight days out of the, the fact that he's leaving now. You want to do it, and all these people talking about, oh my God, there's no room for that. Is he's, you know, I mean, it's again, I, I, I just, you know, I, I don't want to say I get my Negro dominance points, but that, that's certainly what is what I believe what was going to happen. Um, just final uh, thoughts with President-elect, you know, coming in. It, 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 I mean, this feels like Barack Obama all over again, time 2.0. You have the COVID-19 
that, the, you know, the, the cases are still going up. Certain states in Arizona and all these different places, they, they can't get the vaccine out uh, the way they want. Uh, there's some debate on how he wants to do it in the first 100 days. There's also mm-hmm. concerns about the cabinet, if it's um, uh, a, a mixture of women and minorities enough, uh, the right people in charge. You have law enforcement with uh, police brutality. You know, Joe Biden's walking into a fire zone on top of the fact that this administration is current, if you want to call it, this administration wants to make everything hard for him. So what do you see in the first 100 days with him, and what should be uh, outside, let's say COVID is number one, what would be sort of the number two thing that this administration needs to look at? And what do you think about some of the cabinet um, uh, nominees so far? Right. Well, certainly um, President-elect Joe Biden, and for that matter, uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris have a hell of a job before them. Um, I do not envy the task that is before them, right, quite frankly, uh, because I think as you perfectly laid it out, they have COVID-19, uh, they have a, 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 a racial an economic divide in this country. Um, they have um, a, a health care crisis, right, in addition to uh, COVID-19, uh, the economy, by and large, is not doing well. There are still a lot of people who are unemployed, not working. So there are some really significant issues uh, that this administration has to tackle and, and has to deal with, all while bringing the country together, right? So there, there's, a, there's a task before him. You're absolutely right. I do think this is uh, Obama 2.0, as evidenced by the uh, plethora of Obama alumni that uh, uh, has been appointed to the cabinet, and not just uh, the agencies, the head of the agencies that we've seen, but when we begin to look at the assistant uh, secretaries of these agencies and other chief appointments, a lot of them. Um, are Obama alumni. And, and so I, I think that we will see a, a continuation of centrist, of moderate Democrats, uh, because let's be very clear, Joe Biden is not some uh, ultra-progressive here. Uh, he himself is a moderate, centrist Democrat uh, who likes to toe both lines. I think some of that will be helpful, particularly for the Republicans on the, the Senate side, given his years of experience. Uh, but we shall see what that looks like and, and how the Democratic Party, how this new administration really contends with the, the more progressive members of Congress uh, that have been just elected, in addition to the crazies, quite frankly, that has also been elected. I'm thinking of Marjorie Greene from my home state of Georgia, unfortunately, who is the first member of Congress who's a QAnon, right? So this administration has to contend with the intra-fighting within the party between, to your point, the more centrist, moderate Democratic leadership, Pelosi's uh, 
uh, Clyburn, Hoyer, and then the more newer progressives, right? I'm thinking of the young lady, I think her last name is Bush from Missouri, and others, right? The new members of the squad. And then you have the Republicans, and then you have the crazies, right? So a, a lot of that you have to contend with. Um, outside of COVID-19, I probably would argue that the, the second biggest issue is the economy, getting people back to work. Um, and then, of course, I think the overarching of all of that is healing the country, bringing people together, uh, healing this racial as well as economic divide. How he's going to be able to accomplish this in four years, um, we shall see. Um, I am in, in some ways enthusiastic. Uh, not enthusiastic, I should say. I'm, excuse me, I'm hopeful. Uh, I don't think the needle is going to, to move all that much, uh, but I do think it's going to be a lot better than where we are. And then I, I will end by saying my only concern is that the American people, particularly black and brown people, retreat back to a state of complacency, right? We forget the four years that we suffered under Trump because now things are back to normal. Now people are acting presidential and they're saying all the right things. And then another two years happened with 2024 and we could potentially have another situation. So my hope is that even under a Biden-Harris administration and even under a new Congress is that we don't forget the same amount of engagement that it took for us to elect uh, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock in Georgia and to flip the Senate is the same energy it's going to take in these next four years as well. We need to continue to write our members of Congress and not just our members of Congress, our state representatives, even our local dog catchers and city council members because it's going to take that level of engagement for us not to go back to what we have experienced the last four years. Well, uh, if normal is uh, still getting beat upside the head by the police, you black and brown people, then that we need better than normal. I'm still driving while black, and some people don't understand that and don't like me saying that, but that's what it is. Um, but we will see. Quadrigo, before you go, let people know how they can reach out to you, uh, sir. We appreciate your time, and Happy New Year once again to you. Sure. Happy New Year to you, Dan. I always pleasure being on. If you, if you want to follow me, my thoughts, you can follow me on Twitter. It's Q underscore Driscoll, D-R-I-S-K-E-L-L-4. That's Q underscore Driscoll4 at Twitter. I appreciate you, my friend. You be safe. We'll talk with you soon. All right. Take good care. Bye-bye. Thank you.
Welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us so much, and we really appreciate you. And um, thanks to all of our guests today. Thanks for you listening. Don't forget to uh, go to our website. Listen to any of our shows, The Bachelor with a T, Bachelor News Radio Network.com. Yeah. 